0: Thank you for tuning in to Reviewing Report. I'm your host, Anthony. We have been told all of our lives that monsters don't exist. But what if I told you not only do they exist, but they live among us? So grab a beer, grab a drink, grab whatever it is you're sipping on. Check your doors, make sure they're locked. And let's talk some true crime. Imagine this. You're sitting there watching TV. You just had let your dog out. But you make the tragic mistake of not locking that back door. The next thing you know, you look up to a man in a mask. Gun leveled to your head. He demands that you get up. He then takes you to your room. He ties you up. He puts a bag over your head and you fight for your life. You fight so hard that you puncture a hole in the bag and gasp for air so desperately needed, only to find that the man places another bag on your head. You're helpless, you're vulnerable, and you're just so scared. If only you would have locked that door. There is a man that called this a fantasy. And then he made it reality. This is the Confessions of BTK. According to Dennis the D-Bag, his first killing happened on January fifteenth, nineteen 1974. Rader states that his first murder location was at the residence of 1834 Edgemore Street, Wichita, Kansas, between the hours of 7 and 730, which the prosecutor later corrects his address to be 803 North Edgemore Street. Dennis the D Bag is then asked if he has personal pleasures and if that's why he did it. And he responds, and I quote, sexual fantasies, sir. Hey, at least he has some manners, right? I suppose. I think it's good to add that this sexual fantasy he likes to call was actually planned out. The Otero family was actually picked out and followed. D Bag then says that he didn't actually break into the house. Oh, what a sweet man he is, but pretty much just welcomed himself in. When they tried to leave, That's when he just made entry. He put them at gunpoint and forced them into the living room. When the judge asked if there was pretty much a plan to this, he said that it was kind of planned to a degree. Although, when he actually made his way into the house, he lost complete control. So it was planned, but when he made entry, shit just hits the fan. He claims he panicked. He tells the judge that he was only making entry because he thought Miss Otero and her two children would be present at the house. He was unaware that Mr. Otero was present because, let's be honest, look at him. He's in no physical shape to fight another man. He claims that he cuts the phone lines before entering, and while confronting the family at gunpoint, he tells them that he's actually a wanted Fugitive, which I guess technically he is. And all that he wanted was food and a car to get away in. And he claims that while they were in the living room, the Otero's dog becomes so upset and D-Bag decides that go ahead and let one of the kids let the dog outside. Then after deciding that the living room was a bad area to be in, he moves them to the back bedroom. He then ties them up. The family starts complaining about restraint hurting them, and being the sweet, nice man that Raider is, he loosens them up. d then tells the judge that he did what he could to make Mr. Otero comfortable, because supposedly due to a really bad car wreck, he had a cracked rib. Again, what a sweet man. He then says that he decided, because he had no mask on, he had to put them down. Raider is literally making this like a campfire story. He is speaking about putting down humans. Like taking your 16-year-old golden retriever who had a great life to the vet to be euthanized. Now, what is next for Mr... D-bag, what's on the agenda, he goes to Miss Otero after, you know, making him nice and comfy and, you know, all that nice guy stuff, places a damn plastic bag over his head and then ties cords on his necks to hold the bags on and, you know, to strangle him. He, in the meantime, tried to strangle Miss Otero to the point she was dead and then puts a bag on Junior's head and then places a bag on Josephine's head. He then noticed that Mr. Otero, you know, he's fighting for his life, so he obviously puts a hole in the bag so that he can breathe. So D Bag places a cloth over his face so that way he cannot bite another hole in another bag. And at this point, he thinks they're all dead until Miss Otero wakes up and she's frantic. He has lost total control of the situation. So he then strangles her again, but this time, Killing her. All of this is disturbing. There's no doubt about it. But what you're about to hear is even more disturbing. Evil and downright devil like. So if you need to fast forward this next part, do it now. He takes Josephine down to the basement, he then hangs her on a drainage pipe. And the judge asks him, did you do anything else? Dennis the D-bag then says, and I quote, yes, I had some sexual fantasies. Like, you look, you mother trucker. This is now reality. D-bag has now just lived out his fantasies. He's going to be out of control now because he's going to want that urge. He's going to want to do this more. By killing and molesting these bodies. It's so hard to believe that someone could be this damn disturbed and beyond evil. This son of a bitch is a monster. And just like I said in the intro, this is proof that monsters do exist. Our next victim of Dennis the D-Bag he went on what he calls surveillance. So on his quote projects, also known as stalking victims like a creeper, his next next victim was Catherine Bright and her brother Kevin were his next victims. He waited for the right time. He broke into her home by the way of the back door and waited by the bedroom. Catherine and Kevin then get home and D bag was unaware that Kevin was actually going to be there. He didn't know that he was, uh, he told them that the same story that he had told the Otero family. And that was, he wanted, um, all their money and just a car. So he could get away because he was a one in fugitive. He tied up Kevin first. He thinks that at least it could have been vice versa, but then he moves on to Catherine, with katherine to one of the other bedrooms and then went back to to kill kevin and kevin actually ends up breaking his restraints and when d-bag returns kevin tries to fight back and he I and mean, he did he gave he gave up a hell of a fight and d-bag had his gun and kevin went for that gun but d-bag jammed his finger finger back behind the trigger to jam it up and eventually d-bag was able to shoot Kevin in the head. He thought Kevin was dead. Um, he, he then goes back to Catherine and begins strangling her. Uh she actually broke her restraints. So she put up a fight for her life. And in his words, he says, I thought I got the best of her. He then heard Kevin again, after shooting him in the head, he, he then hears him in the other room again and goes back and he f- sees Kevin Up and moving. He fights Kevin and shoots him again. Then he claims he went back to finish the job with Catherine and killed her using a knife. He then heard the door of the house open. He assumes there it's over. You know, he assumes that the police are there. This ride was over. But actually, the man that he had shot twice, Kevin, was escaping. He was shot two times in the head and still escaped. Talk about the will to live. He then noticed it was Kevin escaping, so he then had to hurry up, did his best to clean up. He went back to his car, which was at Wichita State. I wish this part was the last part of all of his killings, but it's just frankly not. Because next, March 17th, 1977, he claims that he waited three years to strike again. Although I call bullshit just because we don't know that. He could have went somewhere else and killed or... I just don't think that's the case. Um, he enters the home of Shirley, uh, VN Shirley's five-year-old opened the door to D bag, forced his way in. This wasn't his first target at first. There was actually someone else that he wanted to do a hit on, but didn't work out. So this one was random. And, um, that's just the way that this one kind of, this was not one of his cases, And once he gains entry, he then pulls the gun and tells Shirley uh, that he had to tie her up because his sexual fantasies. So he goes to the back porch. He then moves the kids to the bedroom and then ties Shirley up. Shirley was actually homesick with the flu. She had the flu really, really bad. So she was actually getting sick during this whole time. And D-Bag even comforts her, gets her some water, then ties her up. What a great guy. Comfort, then strangle. He got he got a little spooked because the na- neighbors kept calling and was leaving messages on, you know, check, catching on her, checking on her because they knew that she was sick. And but we what we do know is after killing her, he hurried up once again just because he was spooked, uh, and he leaves the children alive. So then on December 8th, 1977, he kills Nancy Fox. Nancy was one of his so-called projects. He actually parks three blocks away from the residence. He gets there, knocks, but she wasn't home. He cuts the phone lines, then broke in, waited for her in the kitchen. She comes in the house. He tells her that he's there for his fantasies and need to tie her up, then have sex with her. He talks with her a little while before having this. She smokes a cigarette. He, you know, just, he's there to comfort her. He then handcuffed her after he had let her go to the bathroom and then tied her feet and strangled her to death. He then masturbates to the body and then went through the house and took several personal items. Sick ass. April 27th, 1985, he chose Marine Hedge. He parks down a couple blocks, actually lives by the victim, believe that or not, just down the street. He's a neighbor. He said that he had brought his sex and murder kit with him. He then breaks into the house. He stays in the house for a couple of hours while she was there with somebody. So he was hiding. She had no clue he was there. When the guests left, he attacked her. He again strangles this victim. He then stripped her, took her to the trunk of her car, took her to a Lutheran church and took pictures of her. He found a church. I believe this was even his church that he attended where he was the president of council and takes her inside and takes pictures of her like what the freak dude and then he runs out of time so he finds a ditch and dumps her body september 16th 1986 raider moves on to his next victim vicky weggerel and if i don't get some of these last names right i apologize again this was by strangulation it was one of d-bag's planned victims. He actually states that he acted as a repairman on the phone lines and that's how he got entering into the house. Before that, he got dressed into his what he called pit clothes. He walks back and forth waiting for the right moment. He acted like he was checking some phone line and then pulls a gun, takes her to the bedroom. He tied her up, got away. She actually gets away and starts fighting D-Bag, puts up a hell of a fight too. He then Thought he had killed her, so he takes pictures of her and left her there, but she didn't actually die uh He thought she did, but later finds out that she didn't die until possibly on the way to the hospital or at the hospital. January nineteenth nineteen ninety one Dolores Davis becomes the next victim. He got his hit kit and his hit clothes together. He threw a bl- he threw a block through a sliding door and makes entry. He told her that he was on the run and needed to get warmed up because it was cold outside. He needed some money in a car. He put her in handcuffs and then went through the house, you know, looking for the car. Looks for a couple different things. Acts like he's getting food and then takes the handcuffs off and ties her up. He strangled her with her own pantyhose. He put her in the trunk of the car, drove around trying to find a bridge. He finds a bridge dumps the body on the bridge d-bag was in such a hurry because he had prior commitment he was actually park city compliance officer now while he's telling the judge about these stories if you watch the video on youtube you can find it just look up btk he does this little thing i call it beatbox so why he's thinking he's doing something like this Like thinking, like, no big deal. You know what I'm saying? Just killing some people. You know what I mean? No biggie. Just hanging out, stalking people, wearing my hit clothes, chilling. Oh, yeah, I strangled her. Like, just no big deal, right? This is this this D bag is a father of two. So he supposedly stops killing. During this, he just continues to keep beatboxing, trying to remember the exact stories. He's talking like there's just absolutely no issue. Dennis Raider's story is like telling a scary story around a campfire. Except this one is true. And again, it's proof that monsters do exist. He led a double life. He was a husband, a father of two. President of church council a Park City compliance officer, a Boy Scout leader. He led a double life. And this is the kind of person that you call a piece of shit. A dickhead, a dirtbag, just absolutely sick. And it's crazy to think that he's still breathing the same air that you and I and our kids and our family members are breathing. But at least he's locked up and will never see the light of day again. He will never get out of prison. This is the story of BTK and his confessions. If you guys would like to get reach out to me, you can do that at reviewingreport at gmail.com. If you guys have any suggestions on cases, stay tuned for our next case, and I'll talk to you guys next time.